what I usually bring, two models either usually be the Prospector or Pride or both. Interesting. Um, Prospector's my... Prospector's obvious. I want to hear about Pride. Well, actually, it's not quite as obvious. Oh, okay. So a lot of people like to use it as a bank. Right. I don't like that. That makes me feel very, very nervous. Because if you kill him, all of your soul stones go bye-bye. Howdy friends, Craig here. We've got another Malifaux deep dive, this time on the Outcast Master Von Schill. I think a lot of people have been sleeping on him uh, as a master. Uh, These two guests make a strong case for his versatility, his ability to shift gears uh, during the game. They do a good job of covering what upgrades to consider and where to place them. Stick around to second level play. There's a very interesting uh, angle on the totem. Last but not least, we finish off with a nice discussion on models that uh, might need a little bit of love and some models that might need some attention. Sit back and enjoy this exploration of Von Schill. Enjoy. Playing a tabletop strategy game allows you to unplug and test your skills against friends. Every week, Third Floor Wars delivers useful strategies, discussions, battle reports, and reviews to tabletop games like Malifaux. If you want to get better at the games you already play or discover the games other people are playing, you are in the right place. Craig and Ray welcome you to the Third Floor and the Tabletop Talk Broadcast. Craig here on the third floor. Today, we're going to do a deep dive into the Outcast Master, Von Schill, and how the Freecore crew works in Malifaux 3rd Edition. My guests today are Steve Johnson and Brian Gresham. Now, you know Steve from our episode on playing Malifaux Online using Vassal. Steve continues to make that mod better and better and does a great job doing it. So, Steve, welcome back to the third floor. Hi, Craig. Thanks for having me back. Great to be here. Good to see you. So, I know you've been playing Vassal. Yeah, a little bit. And not as much as I'd like, unfortunately. Um, you know, I've actually had to be working during this uh, current crisis. Oh, no kidding. Now, are you having to work from home or are you uh, an essential worker? Um, it's a bit of working from home, but it's a lot more out and about. But I work outside, um, so it's not too bad. Well, that's good. Have you gotten any gaming in? Uh, had a, f- a few games. Um, a few of the guys wanted to practice for the Vassal World Cup and obviously a, f- a few games during the uh, the play test. I started off quite well at the start of the, the uh, play tests, which by the time this goes out, everyone should know about them. Yeah, um, by the time this goes out, and I can't talk about it just in case we decide to put it out early, but um, we've got some neat things cooked up here on the third floor um, coming out here in uh, uh, late July, early August. So depending on when this is released, um, you guys will already know about it. So it's not news for you for less people listening. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm pre- we're pretty excited about it. Uh, we had some people reach out to us um, and uh, we've got some new partnerships going. So, uh, well, that's cool, Steve. Uh, now, Brian, uh, this is your first appearance on the show. And from my understanding, you used to work at weird uh, a few years ago. And uh, you're also, from my understanding, a big outcast player. So uh, welcome to the third floor. Well, thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. So what did you do for Weird? So when I uh, joined Weird, I actually joined them to essentially head the henchman program as a primary kind of job description. So for the year, couple of years I was there, I was the, quote, hench wrangler. Right. That, uh, that term got keyed while I was there, which was kind of fun. Um, but uh, so I handled a lot of 
uh, approving the new henchmen, handing out information to them, as well as community events and things. Um, like I did a couple of the uh, the Iron Painters, I think, um, as far as like running it. Um, and then I also did a lot of customer service. So whenever uh, anyone had an issue, like, you know, if they lost you on those beard and things, you know, they would be messaging and I'd be the person to take that usually. And I would jump in the warehouse too. So I really kind of, I really, it, the company's small enough that yeah. everybody in that building really wears multiple hats. And I was very blessed in the way that I got to like, have my hands in a whole bunch of different stuff because my favorite part of the job was essentially being a booth babe and going to the uh, the conventions and shows that was my absolute favorite part i bet i bet that was cool boy can and i would imagine there's few more thankless jobs than being uh running that henchman program well actually there's so this is a community that i have always been impressed by before i went to weird and during and after like yes you have some key individuals and some particularly loud individuals that are absolutely negative um, or at least semi-problematic, but they are way outnumbered by the great people in this community. And that's why I have, I've fallen in love with not just the game, but also the community that's around it. Yeah, it's very true. I mean, for every Adam Talbot, there's like 10 other people, right? Fair enough. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, um, the person I talk to all the time at Weird, her name is Callie. Um, and she uh, she yep. she puts up with me something fierce. Yeah. So God yeah. bless her. She was uh, my direct supervisor. She's actually the uh, the woman who I spoke to and who uh, originally offered me the position. Um, I absolutely adore her and yeah. every single other person there. I miss them. That is by far the best and greatest job I've ever had in my life. The greatest. Well, that's cool. I had to. I had to unfortunately leave because uh, my uh, my dad had an accident that almost killed him. Oh and, boy! Uh, we just wanted to move closer to family because all my family's in the the Midwest, and it just wasn't ideal with having to take a plane ticket to see them every time. So, um, but I I absolutely adore everybody at Weird, and I still volunteer with them as much as I can. That's awesome, man. That's awesome. All right, guys. So what we're going to do today is we're going to focus on Von Schill and the Freecore crew. Now, what I want to do is kind of dig deep in uh, with these guys and figure out, you know, how do they build a Freecore crew? Um, how does the crew itself play? How does he play as a master? Um, real anxious to find out if there's any key tech pieces they bring in based off of maybe what the uh, opponent's bringing or maybe off the scheme and strat pool. Uh, we're even going to go over some ways to counter the Freecore crew. Um, so, Steve, let's start with you. Let's imagine that someone listening right now has never played Von Schill, never played against Von Schill. Can you give us an overview, give an idea what kind of master he is? Well, uh, I mean, Von Schill's the leader of the Free Corps, which is one of the most uh, famous mercenary units in Malifaux. Um, all his guys are from this Free Corps, pretty much in keyword. He's a support, well, I say support master, he's kind of hands out equipment, offers support to the crew, but he can quite easily jump in and get involved in the action. He's very survivable. Um, you know, he's got good defensive stats. He's fast. Uh, you can't tie him up in combat. You know, he's kind of one of these all-round masters. I'd say he's, he's one of the ultimate all-round masters, which is what a lot of people are looking for in M M3E, to be honest, anyway. Uh, I'm sure people will disagree with me, but yeah, I do find him as a great all-rounder, and I find it difficult to take anyone over him when I'm running my outcasts. Well, I, I'll tell you, and I'm, I'm anxious. We're obviously going to get into it a little bit more, but um, I really loved what they did with him in three. I think that um, he really kind of found his sweet spot um, mechanically. And uh, speaking of which, uh, Brian, I think probably the first thing we need to, to go over is how that whole upgrade uh, system works and kind of the mechanics of that. Can you give us an idea of how he's handing out upgrades and what it means? 
Yeah, so both Von Schill and his totem have an ability to uh, be able to hand them out to Freycor, in particular uh, friendly non-beast minions or Freycor models. So there is some fun shenanigans you can try and pull with non-Freycor, but really his focus is to give them to his keyword. Um, it's loaded up. It load up is the, the action on the back of his card that does it. It's got a, a good stat. It's relatively easy to get off, and it's got a trigger on every single one of his things, which all provide utility. But what he does with this is he's giving upgrades to his models to allow them to adapt to pretty much any situation you kind of find them in, uh, which is kind of an, an important part of how he functions. And it's, it's part of the skill level, too, of when do you spend his AP to give those out versus adapting him, like Steve said, and getting into the fray, doing some, some work himself. It, it's, it's a delicate balancing factor. Yeah, and I'm glad that you called that out, Brian, because, you know, you, you can look at uh, what the target number is and, you know, hopefully maybe try to hit one of your triggered suits and things like that. Sometimes when we look at Von Schill, we only think about the card resources. But I think another very important resource to consider is it's a master AP as well, um, which obviously doesn't apply to the totem, but um, that's still significant. Um, Steve, let's talk about him offensively, though, because he can put out some damage. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, he's got straight away from range he's got a 14 inch range gun which obviously only snipers usually have um which is great in itself and it ignores hard to wound another great ability with that um so he, he can support the crew from range quite happily uh, but one of his best things i think is once he gets up close and personal uh, he's got his clockwork arm which if anyone remembers from second edition he, he used to be able to throw people into the air he can still do that on one of his triggers he can throw him throw him across and someone else from his crew can take a shot i mean what's not to love about that you know and you can shout pull while you're doing it as well. Well, that's the name of the ability or the trigger, which I love. And it was something that uh, I've always loved about it. Weird is they, they always come up with clever names for it as well. So I'd be curious in general, um, Steve, do you find yourself really, you know, wanting to get him into close combat or do you like him at a distance? Because the gun is nothing to scoff at. No, I mean, and the gun's actually better really on the damage track, although the, the combat does have crit strike, so he can get higher in uh, close combat but um, normally for me with Von Schill um, he is sitting back supporting his crew he only, he's like a last minute jumping in because of that week two on both weapons I prefer to keep him out available to support his crew where needs be um, obviously with the load up when we go into the upgrades later there are other weapons he can get which are great um, but for the most part he, he does tend to sit, sit back fire support and bring guys out of combat when he wants to because with load up he can move guys out of combat um, he also has I've got your back so you really can't tie his crew down so I do use him more as a support master but only if I if I think he can finish somebody off yeah he'll dive in get into where he needs to be and like throw somebody out or you know help with take prisoner yeah and he's hard to pin down because he's got that diving charge which uh, uh, makes it you know if you wanted to kind of bog him down it makes it even harder yeah. um but now brian how about survivability uh steven uh intimated that you know he's pretty resilient why is he resilient well first of all he's resilient because he pisses off your opponent enough on this area that where they they focus all their efforts and he still doesn't die that just tells you how resilient he is but really uh what it comes to is his his stats are well above average first of all with the defense six and a willpower seven Yes, he, seven's huge. Oh man, I don't know how many times I'm going to Neverborn, and that yeah. just makes them cry. But uh, those stats alone make it to a lot of times he's top decking uh, a very good defense. Like it's very easy to do that with. But from there, every single model that's a Freycore has at least armor one, and he's no exception. So he's reduced in his armor. He's just armor one. So there's only a couple models with a two, but he's reducing damage automatically. 
Um, in addition, he's blast resistant, so any shockwaves, pulses, or blasts that do damage, he reduces that even further. Um, and don't make the mistake of thinking it reduces it down to zero. It does not. Yeah. Uh, when I first started uh, playing the keyword at the beginning of 3E, I made that mistake a couple times, so any new players looking at that, he'll still take at least one. But um, th then you add in Survivalist, and you'll see later on that this crew does have some healing options. And Survivalist just makes it to where I've had him half health or less, and with 1 to 2 AP, if he's not at full health, he's very near close. And it, it is so frustrating for someone who's put so many resources into an already resilient master trying to put him down, and then he just heals right back up. Yeah, and I see also as shouting orders, um, which can be a big deal. I assume when we get into the crew, we're going to learn about how valuable that is. Yeah, um, I would also kind of put a word of caution with it, too. And this is going to come into the weaknesses of the crew. Shouting orders is amazing for action efficiency, but not hand efficiency. Oh, interesting. Um, that makes sense. You'll find that this crew has a lot of value out of focus, uh, particularly into certain bad matchups. But you have to watch your hand because this crew does not have a lot of uh, extra card generation. And as we'll talk about later, that's that's a weakness of it. Very interesting. Well, I think that kind of gives us a good idea of uh, kind of the role that Von Schill plays. And obviously being a support master the way he is, um, you know, how his crew is built is going to be key. One last quick shout out, though. I just happened to notice looking at the card, he's got uh, move six, which is just disgusting. Um, and uh, with you look at range, you know, his move six, uh, 14 inch gun, um, diving charge. It sounds to me like he can be just about anywhere. But what we're going to do is take a quick break. When we get back from this break, I want to talk to these guys about how they build a free core crew. We're going to talk about their core crew. We'll be right back. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Howdy friend, Craig here. Is this episode making you realize you need to buy some models? Gadzooks Gaming is my favorite online retailer because of their large selection, killer prices, and great customer service. Don't you hate buying an entire crew box when you only need one model? Gadzooks sells crew box models individually and saves you a ton of money. They even have free shipping to the US and Canada if you spend $100 or more. Swing by gadzooksgaming.com and make sure you tell them Craig from the third floor sent you. All the details are in the show notes. So uh, you're going to hear me. You're going to hear me during this whole cast talk about uh, how cool I think he is. Um, part of the reason I think he's cool is because I already built my steam trunk like two years ago, so I don't have to go through that hell again. Um, but uh, let's go ahead and talk about 
the uh, hardest hardest to put together model in Malifaux, the steam trunk. Uh, yeah, the steam trunk. He's a he's a pretty cool little uh, little model. Um, it, it is a little bit of a daunting task when you first look at the sprue putting him together. I I have put him together twice in my lifetime, and uh, I don't ever want to do it again. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, he's a he's a pretty typical um, survivable ish uh, support piece. Uh, he's got kind of the standard low stats of, you know, 4-4 four, four as far as willpower defense and an average of 5 move, which is pretty pretty standard for the crew. Um, he's only got 3 health, so he can go down pretty easily, but he does have armor 2, which kind of helps uh, reduce the amount of damage that he takes. So usually it takes at least 2 hits to kill him. But right. uh, the important part about the, the guy's front card um, is the, the armory aura ability. And this is where the positioning of your steam trunk is really important, and it's really something you only learn with time. Um, the uh, upgrades, as you'll see them, whenever they get used, they usually drop off. They, they almost always will fall off the model. And he can make a tour by discarding, car discarding a card. You can exchange it, essentially, instead of just losing it. So you can set up some really fun combos and, and other things that way. Yeah, I think it's interesting. His demise ability has got explosive two, which I think is interesting. The one thing that I was surprised at when I, when three came out and I first looked at his card is he's one of the few models in Malifaux that does not have any offensive attacks. No, he's uh, you're absolutely right. He's completely support. Um, his only offensive attack would be running into a model's face um, just to be in the way, but he can't actually lock them down. Um, and really, that ex that demise ability tends to be more of a liability because you, you tend to keep him around your crew kind of mid to backfield um and it, it tends to not be near enemies to damage them so you actually have to be more careful if he gets taken out uh by your enemy he's usually near your models and that's it <laughs> but his, his support abilities though they're really important to the crew in my opinion um first of all he's got a weaker version of von schill's upgrade handout you can only do it once per activation unlike von schill so um it's a little it's harder to get off and it's it's you can't repeat it but he's got two bonus actions that really make his value skyrocket. The first one is a two-inch uh, bonus ability that literally all it does is just end the burning condition. That's all it does. Nice. The second one is uh, the emergency surette, I think is how it's said. Um, and you get to heal him, a heal a model. Uh, one, two, three, it's nothing big. But he, as like Von Schill, he's got survivalist. That becomes a, a two, three, four. Um, and it also ends poison. So it's the two main ways in the crew to get rid of those two conditions in keyword. Very nice. Now, Steve, after you've, you know, obviously chosen Von Schill, you bring in uh, the steam trunk. What's your first hire? Um, for me, my first hire tends to be Hannah. Um, as Brian was saying earlier, with the, 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 the kind of pressure on Von Schill's hand, you know, Hannah comes in with Arcane Reservoir, which is straight away is a great ability, as any Arcanists know, um, dirty <laughs> Arcanists, because they just bring it on everything, don't they? Yeah, um, yeah. So they have to work for it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, it's one of the few ways within the Outcast, really, to get a model with Arcane Reservoir. Uh, we don't have it as an upgrade. So I do find she's great. She's a great henchman. Uh, some of the things with her, I mean, we never really went over the upgrades, but, you know, she's a great target for upgrades. Things like the rocket launchers, which have crit striking, because she can actually Pass, uh, take damage or damage other people to add um, suits. So, you know, with crit strike, she can quite easily get double crit strike. So she's going in with a minimum four rocket launcher, um, which is just, well, it's awesome, obviously. She can do that on Malia as well. Um, you know, defensively, she's 
standard defense apart from a willpower is seven um but she also has counter spells if they want to trigger on her they're having to use cards up so you're putting a bit of hand pressure on them while yep. in your own one of my favorite abilities though with her adaptive tactics she can copy the tactical action of anyone in the um kind of free call really as long as it's not handing out another upgrade or naming somebody like a lot of others this means that she can like copy Arik's ability to get plus one damage which actually makes her one of the most damaging model in the game she can get up to nine damage on a, on a severe the double crit strike and Arik's if you read joker that's 10 that'll pretty much kill anything apart from a master <laughs> I mean, what, what's not to like about her and like yeah. all like all the other um free call she is she's armored one as well so she's very tough she hits hard and she's got ranged ranged abilities whilst bringing that arcane reservoir, which is key for this crew, I feel. Now, I'd be curious, uh, Steve, how often do you, are you using ancient words? Because uh, I noticed that it's got the glimpse of the void trigger. Yeah, um, I have done it once um, where literally is the only ability she used all game for me. Um, that was uh, against one of our players in Masters, which I lost, but um, it's not a good thing for a volunteer deep dive, is it? But, <laughs> um, <laughs> she was basically being engaged by a Jorogamu and um, Minako and just ignoring them because she didn't want to hit Minako, obviously, um, whilst ancient wording for Hatsu to death, because even if he'd have survived it with his low willpower, Glimpse the Void is just going to really hurt him. So yep. combining the two, but... It, it does depend. I do prefer to get her in melee and use those fists, especially, you know, she's got built-in blasts on the fists. She's got some nice triggers there, delay for a bit slow, or that crit strike to really ramp the damage up by, you know, throwing a ram in, take damage in herself or someone else for an extra ram, and just, and hopefully using Arik's ability as well to make herself min five. Very, very nice. How about you, Brian? Do you like, you tend to bring in Hannah? I do. Um, she's not the, my first go-to just because I, I, I like Eric more, but I honestly, I agree with the, the whole Arcane Reservoir. It, that ability alone basically makes her an auto-include for me. Um, it's the hand pressure that you can face against certain crews like uh, Yoku and things. It, it can really cripple you, and that it is incredibly important. Um, and she, she's just a straight up scary beater. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, speaking of which, Eric's no joke, so he's one of your early hires. What does Eric bring for you? Oh man, he, this guy, this is my boy. Um, he's, uh, he, he, what really makes him valuable for me and many times my MVP is honestly his gravity. Well, um, his defensive stats are average, but he's got armor too. So he's, uh, pretty hard to hurt, but his gravity. Well, uh, puts an aura around him, um, just on all the time that you can't place within it. And people who don't pay attention to the movement in Malifo don't notice how many movements in the game are actually places and how important those tend to be for a lot of different scenarios. Um, there's a lot of teleportation. There's a lot of flying. And anyone who's got those abilities, all of a sudden, we're like, well, I'm going to do this, and I have to stop them and warn them, you can't place within this yep. area. And that throws kinks into so many people. I don't like to do the gotchas, um, but it's something that, I, even my regular opponents uh, forget it all the time. And it, it is a huge denial piece. Um, yeah. I mean, you've got fly. Um, that's, it's going to impact their ability to use flight. Um, mm -hmm. Now they can still walk into it, but then yes. they're not using the flight. Correct. Uh, and some of your summoning mechanics are places too. Yep. Um, um, so. You can't summon with dreamer on him, period. Um, you can't, uh, so you can't teleport near him with uh, Widow Weaver. Um, I play a lot of Neverborn in case it's... Uh, <laughs> um, uh, Misaki can't teleport off to her um, her smoke markers. 
Um, you know, you can deny chompy places. Uh, you can deny a lot of those unconventional movements that a lot of people, you know, I think honestly take for granted until they lose it. Yeah, and he's got a great damage track, and um, mm. I, between puncture and armor piercing, um, that can be really nasty against uh, some very specific models. Yep. The one thing that I've always found interesting about the new Eric is uh, the tactical action, his charge up. And I think what's most interesting about it is it's one of the few times where you get to kind of choose a couple options that aren't tied to triggers. Yeah, what's it's kind of cool. So charge up, what it does is you get to just choose one of the abilities, and um, it's till the end of the phase. It it. Uh, lasts on him um and the first one that you can choose is polarized shielding this is the one i actually use the least because most of the time my eric is so defensible that my opponents don't see him worth attacking that he's better to control him than to actually try and kill him um the second one is probably the most used which is the charged fist and that's the ability that uh, steve was mentioning for hannah to to copy um she copies the charge up action uses charge fist it basically makes your melee attacks do one more damage and can push models uh, a little distance. And the interesting one, the one that I like to use because it throws people off, is Bright Aether. He's got a, um, a shockwave grenade attack that doesn't require any line of sight. Um, it's an 8-inch range. It's a moderate stat. Sometimes it takes a little bit to, to get it off and can be annoying that way. But if you take Bright Aether, it increases the shockwave by 1, so it becomes a shockwave 3. So that's a very big area that that marker can cover. And if it damages them, it also gives them distracted one. So if you need, Ark can absolutely do damage, but he can also do some interesting utility in the right situations. Yeah, I can definitely see that. And again, with that diving charge, um, that mobility coupled with that grenade, I think would, would, would be uh, setting up some very interesting plays. Oh, yeah. Um, Steve, for you, do you, do you like Eric and, and bringing in Hannah? Because that's 20 points right there. Yeah, I do tend to bring him in a lot. Um, to be honest, he's one of my flex pieces, if anything, but um, he's still there. I, I actually have a crew that I use 95% of the time, which I'm sure we'll go into. But when I'm swapping something out, he is one of my flex pieces. But yeah, he's great. I mean, especially for carrying certain people, as Brian said. I mean, one thing he, didn't, he missed out was uh, Nakima. He got up against an, a um, kind of Nephilim crew. He hit some with a focused hit. They black blood on him. He discards a card to gain focused again to hit him again. <laughs> he's taking no damage from the black blood, but gaining focus from him. So he's just into that sort of crew. He is quite uh, amusing, shall we say. It annoys them. Yeah, I'd be curious. What are other situations where you flex him in, Steve? Uh, well, I say he's in the crew 95% of the time, so he more gets flexed out than flexed gotcha. in. Um, because so when don't of- you use him? There's there's certain ones if I need something some speed um so I can you know for the ten points I can bring in ashes and dust for ten points or um not so much now because the soulstone mine has been um, hit but I used to sometimes flex in the uh, nothing beast instead of Arik because the soulstone miner buries and the nothing beast just eats it yeah um, but um, usually he is in the crew most of the time but he is a, a piece that I'm willing to take out to bring something in more uh, suited to the opponent or the schemes and strats. So, Steve, after you've looked at those two models, what are, is there any other models that you consider core? Um, well, yeah, so I've got a 45 stone crew that is pretty much my core wow. crew. <laughs> and it will see 95% of games. Um, what would I say for me, really? You, you probably don't want to go into versatiles yet. So from the free core, um, the librarian is a huge, huge piece for me. Um, the librarians, again, like the rest of the crew, tough, armored. She actually comes in with arcane shield as well every turn. Um, so she's shielded one every turn, which is great. Mm-hmm. 
average stats, but willpower six. Uh, she can do the same as Hannah and siphon power off people within four, so she can damage herself or others to add the suit she wants. Now, this is really important for me because um, I should maybe talk about it in second second level play, but it's something I use. I like to uh, damage Von Schill with my librarian. Interesting. Um, I'll damage him one to add my tomes and attack him with it and uh, basically get surged. So you do have some card draw within the free core and it ends up doing two damage to him effectively to draw a card, which is great. Yeah, that's that's cool. That's something I not, would, would not have thought about. Now, um, yeah. she actually has a decent attack. She does, yeah. I mean, it's a 2-4-5 against willpower, stat 6. Um, I've used her to take out bigger pieces that got high defense uh, for like vendettas can put blasts onto it as i said it's got surge as well so it's helping with your card draw and she can always get the trigger she wants just by damaging someone and with the amount of healing and a bunch of your crew that's always useful um obviously one of the main things people look at her initially for when you first start playing this crew is that healing energy which is a range eight heal one two three onto von shell again it adds one to that and it also has healing burst which she can damage someone for if you haven't got the tome yeah and he heals like the rest of the crew because the crew does tend to work in the bubble a lot um so she's quite good for that you know most people look at her as a healer i use her for healing card draw and damage depending on the situation uh and her bonus consolidate power you know she can do all these actions and consolidate power on herself really if she wants to because it is a tactical mm -hmm. action which allows her to still keep moving and stay with the crew so she's not being left behind while she's doing her ancient words or healing um, which a lot of healers you, you do find do tend to get left behind because they're too busy healing them or they've got to walk up and not do anything where she can consolidate power on herself or any of the other minions you bring, but normally herself just to keep up with the crew. Yeah, and that heals an eight-inch heal, um, which I think has a, has a huge impact yeah. on that as well. Um, I would be curious, Steve, um, kind of the next one in this little 45 stone crew, is there any free cores you always bring in? Uh, yeah, the engineer. Here's my next one. Um, Again, average stats, but armored one. Uh, they also bring tools for the job. So it's a bit of card cycling instead of card draw now, but tools for the job is great. Um, again, they are then good targets for rocket launchers that with the crit strike, because they can put a double crit strike onto it. Uh, they also have crit strike on their pistol as well, but the rocket launcher is a higher stat attack. So they are quite offensive. Um, the good thing about these guys though, I like, is their bonus action strength and armor. Now you have to discard the card first because it's a cost. But, you know, the target, target getting shielded, if it's free core, you get to draw a card. So it's card cycling rather than card losing. And if it's a construct, it heals, which Hannah and Arik, who we've already talked about, and Von Schill himself are all constructs. So they all get to heal. Um, and if you've got the right suit, you can give out focused or concealment depending on the situation. So these engineers are great. And it's another ability, the strength and armor, that I like to copy with Hannah um, because then I've got more shielded, more healing, and it's just making the crew tougher as a whole, cycling my cards. Uh, you know, so I very rarely use stones to like swap cards at the start of turn because I've got card cycling, I've got card draw. I just don't find I need to it. You know, I use my stones for protecting my multiple henchmen that I've got. Well, I was going to ask that because I mean, you got two two expensive henchmen. I'd be curious, Steve, how many stones you usually bring uh, with your crew. It is five because a forty five stone um, crew, to be honest. Um, but yeah, five stones is what I what I tend to bring. Um, how about you, Brian? How many stones do you usually bring? Five is a pretty good average. Um, sometimes I do flex a little bit more or less depending on the models I bring, and we'll get into that with versatiles because if, if I take a prospector, um, which I take for a very specific reason, um, I will afford myself to go down to four. Um, but I don't like being with too few stones with two henchmen and a master out there. 
And yes, to protect them, but I actually like using stones to guarantee suits, particularly on uh, the upgrades, in particular the uh, the the grenades, which I, I which we'll probably talk about after we finish talking about the crew. Well, actually, that was a perfect segue. That's where I was headed, Brian. So we've talked about the rocket launcher. Can you go over a couple of the other upgrades and when you use them? Absolutely. So the for me, the number one uh, upgrade that I use is rocket boots. Rocket boots, one, it's a fun sounding ability. I mean, who doesn't want to have some some boots with jets on them? Um, but what it does is, by the way, all these upgrades are, are plentiful too, and you can have as many of them on a model. You just can't have more than one. Uh, so you can't have two rocket boots on one model. Got it. Um, but yeah, so just want to kind of put that out there for other people. Um, but the rocket boots makes it to where when you charge, um, you get a bonus flip to the damage. You get a positive to the damage flip on melee attacks. So automatically you put this on Arik or Hannah or Von Schill even, and this really makes their damage uh, very threatening because they can hit those severes so much easier. Um, the tactical action is a bonus action that's just a standard leap. Um, it's got a built the built-in uh, the suit for it, so it's got the mask built in. But you need a seven for it to go off. So it's not you know the easiest, but it's not necessarily impossible either. But this really uh, adds versatility and mobility to a crew, um, especially like that burst mobility because you can get out of uh, uh, severe terrain and things much easier with that than you can just walking. With the second one I tend to use, that's going to be Reinforced Assault Shield. Uh, this one, as soon as you apply it to the model, they get shielded plus two. Um, and if that shield ever goes down during the action phase, so activation phase, so during when you're doing attacks and things, that's when it'll fall off. But every turn, as long as this is there, it'll regen your shielded up to two. So it really makes those already difficult to put down models just that much more uh unyielding uh, the ability on it is situational um this is not the reason why i put it on it um i've really only used i've got your back on von shill not really on the assault shield so much but it can be nice if you if you have a, a situation where you really need it and it's got a trigger to give uh them shield and an extra little bit of shielded as well so very cool now steve uh you mentioned you know we need to talk about versatiles but before we do i want to know if there's any other free core in, in that 45 stone crew no that's it for the free core for me really i'm up to the uh the uh, was it six models i think there with the total yeah, yeah six models so let's talk about uh, some versatile models that you're getting use out of uh, well this is basically finishes out the crew because i've got the hodgepodge emissary who is just oh, nice awesome. um he's actually become a bit of a crutch for me in outcast as a whole uh, lots of people don't rate him i love him he is awesome um no, he's not an offensive F emissary really like a lot of the other ones that we see he's definitely a support one Standards kind of emissary starts defense and willpower six. He's manipulative. He's hard to kill. But some of the advantages there, you know, he's got move along. So an aura of three around him. Any model starting there, move there uh, is, you know, plus one move, which obviously speeds up the Von Schill crew. So Von Schill can actually move seven. Um, when I take ashes and dust, he can move. I think it gets up to about eight move there. So it's really good. Uh, then brings in some more healing. So healing drafts, if they start their activation within three of him, they heal one. Now Von Schill will heal two. So that counters my librarian damage in Von Schill for card draw. Obviously, you go to the back of his card. He's got a kind of fairly weak melee. I've used it a few times, but more um, if, if he's actually doing offensive stuff, he's doing throwing junk, which has a built-in trigger for slow. So it's a nice little thing as well. And he can uh, use that, although without the slow trigger, when Von Schill throws people. 
but the main ability for him really i think is plenty of wares this heals your crew um heals the model one two three but also allows you to hand out upgrades so i'm adding more upgrades to the von Schill crew um I like regen onto Von Schill. Other people like it onto other people, but that means Von Schill regens four every time he activates within three of this emissary. So you're not killing him. Um, he can do extra healing on that with triggers, but the other thing, as I said, is handing out upgrades. So there's, besides the regen, there's also Memento. A lot of people like that one because then you can go straight into another model. Um, gives you um, Companion or Pretty Floral Bonnet, which is a great one because, you know, someone like Von Schill or Arik, if Von Schill's not got... Um, regen can diving charge out of combat and drop a marker or they can drop markers in combat you know diving charge out um a lot of people put it on the midnight stalker if they take him but mm -hmm. yeah, no, you know it's another support piece for me he can do combat when he needs to but he just holds the crew together so well with as tough as the crew is um people struggle to take down my crew if they're working in that bubble because you've got all this healing yeah i've got seven models there and six out of those seven can heal and and you heal as soon as you start and when you're playing, Steve, how often are you breaking that bubble and who breaks it? So how often are you spinning them off? Um, it depends. I mean, it depends on the, the schemes and strats. To be honest, the person who breaks it the most is probably Von Schill later in the game because he's got the speed to just run off and do what I need him to do. Um, you know, Hannah will tend to stick around with it because she's not as tough as Arik. Arik will jump off and do his things. Um, but usually the, the bubble will hold together, for certainly the first two, three turns. And then turn four, five, if I need some markers down somewhere or um i need to go and grab a you know an idol or something well run to an idol then um von Schill can certainly he's got the speed if he starts there you know he can be 21 inches across the board carrying the carrying the football and uh, take himself a corrupted ley line quite easily that's nice so brian how about you what versatiles do you find yourself bringing in so I am going to be that guy who's like, I hate the emissary. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. I, I can tell you with a hodgepodge, there is no in between. It's Everybody not, I talk yeah. to either loves or hates it. But um, what I will take is I'll actually take the effigy if I need a discount healer for any reason. Like I need just a little bit extra, um, which very rarely pops up. What I usually bring two models either usually be the prospector or pride or both. Interesting. Um, Prospector's my Prospector's obvious. I want to hear about Pride. Well, actually, it's not quite as obvious. Oh, okay. So a lot of people like to use it as a bank. Right. I don't like that. That makes me feel very, very nervous. Because <laughs> if you kill him, all yeah. of your soul stones go bye-bye. Yeah, so, so how do you like to use them? Just the mobility? Counter breakthrough. Okay. I do not like crews that can dance around me. Um, Von Schill, like Steve uh, played, they tend to play a little bit bubble. And if you've got a crew that can be incredibly independent and highly mobile, they can kind of run all around you. And if they are dropping ski markers everywhere, it can be very difficult to keep up. But the um, the prospector gives me a little bit of insurance there with his appraise ability, being able to at range uh, remove those ski markers very easily. So he's he's a lot of fun. Very nice. Now, how about pride, though? Pride just kind of pisses people off um he uh I, I bring him when i know that i've got a dive master or something coming in on me like for example misaki or shenlong um although i haven't played shenlong against shenlong since his uh, errata so i don't know if my local player is still going to be doing that um but what he really does is he shuts down the ability to cheat and against a crew that is so defensible and hard to damage it makes it very, very difficult to get value out of those alpha strikes. Because um, the problem is, 
is if you alpha strike in, what you're supposed to be doing is removing resources from your opponent so they can't attack back or they can't retaliate uh, and, and get value. But the problem is, is, is he will just shut that down. Um, if he goes uh, with enough time to put up his, uh, his solo ability, which makes it to where whenever an opponent cheats, um, and if they've got sin tokens, he can discard those sin tokens to cancel their cheating, and then they can't cheat again. And it, it has crippled so many um, attacks that it is incredibly frustrating, and he becomes actually a priority for my opponent to take out. Well, and I would imagine, Brian, that also in a, in a backward sort of way helps with the hand pressure that you're dealing with, too, right? Yeah. It kind of evens, evens the playing field yeah. a little bit. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's interesting. I don't think I would have thought of that. So that's very interesting. Um, so, guys, what we're going to do is take another break. When we get back from this break, we're going to talk about how they flex into different pools. So we're going to talk about strategies that uh, call for free core. We're going to talk about some schemes that they really like and some tech pieces that they bring in based off of what those strats and schemes are. We'll be right back. Howdy friends, Craig here. You deserve a new playmat. Here on the third floor, we use mats by Mars. They are scratch resistant, waterproof, wet erase marker compatible, almost free of glare and lighter than neoprene. Mats by Mars gives you over 40 designs to choose from. You pick a mat, pick a design, and then you pick an overlay, like one for Marvel Crisis Protocol, Star Wars Legion, or even Malifaux 3rd Edition. Those overlays will really speed up your deployment and make the placement of objective markers so easy. Use our promotion code in the show notes to get a 10% discount on your first order. In the notes of your order, you can even request the third floor logo on your mat for free. That makes the best mat in the business even a little better. So get some new mats, save yourself some money, and help support the show. Go to matsbymars.com. All the details are in the show notes, including the discount code. So, you know, Steve has, has a pretty solid crew um, that he, you know, tends to, you know, doesn't do a whole lot of flexing. But, uh, Brian, it sounds like you do a little bit more flexing. So let's talk about when Von Schill actually hits the table. Um, and I think it's important for everybody listening. You know, I, I realize some listeners only have a couple masters in the faction. Uh, I know a lot of listeners are, you know, degenerates like me and buy an entire faction um, <laughs> at any point in time. So I'd be curious to know, Steve, is there a particular strategy that you think really can uh, can call for the free core where where they truly excel at? Um, yeah, for me, it has to be public enemies. Obviously, with the toughness of my crew, it's not so much where I score, because I will score a couple of points from it, but I'll pretty much shut down my opponent's scoring unless they've got one of the hard counters, which we'll come up to later. Um, a Von Schill crew, you know, people aren't killing my crew. I've had Von Schill take over 30 wounds in a game before. I've had Hannah reduced to one or two wounds and she's back up to full wounds by the end of the game. The crew's got so much healing, the armor, the shielded. Um, you're not getting through it. So it, it really does punish them if they're trying to score public enemies. And it's a great, great crew for it. Um, it does have the damage it needs to if it wants to, but it's more the fact of denial there and people aren't scoring off it. So I'd be curious, Steve, I mean, um, obviously the, it, they're resilient, but uh, you're bringing in some juicy targets into public enemies with the way you build your crew. They are, but can you take down, um, you know, an armor two shielded for Arik, who's also got five soul stones to call upon? Um, right. And can you do it in one activation? Because if you don't, people are going to be healing him. Everyone, as I said, apart from Arik, everyone in my crew heals some way, whether it's through triggers, through copying someone else's ability. 
but you know, I've got six out of seven models that can heal. And even as soon as he activates, he heals one as well, just being near the emissary if I need him to be. Um, so the crew has so much healing and so much shielded and armor. You have to have a plan to counter all that. So yes, there's three 10 stone models in there, which are worth a lot, but killing them is not as easy as you might think. So what prevents them from just doubling down and going after the emissary? How are you keeping the emissary alive? Um, well, obviously the emissary himself is manipulative anyway. Right. Um, he's, his defense six and willpower six. So he's not that easy to take down. He is hard to kill. And as soon as he activates, he heals one. Then you've got the librarian can heal him. Um, Hannah can always copy the librarians yeah. if I need more wounds to heal him. So, and he can heal himself. So unless you can take down a model in one turn, um, and the emissary is usually behind the others as well. So you've either got to have some shooting, some way to get around it, or you've got to get past Arik. And you can't just jump over Arik because, as Brian said, he's got a gravity well. Right, right. You really have to clear Arik on the emissary. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. Now, and the other, th- I think the other thing too that I'm sitting here looking at it is you don't have to you 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 don't have to be somewhere to score, right? You can score anywhere on the board, which I would imagine helps both with the mobility of this crew as well as the bubble aspect. Yeah, I mean, they can just go up the middle. Um, because people don't want to close with Arik and Hannah early, but if they don't close, I'm handing out rocket launchers to the likes of Hannah, and she's going for a min four rocket launcher with blast attack. So you, you can't sit back. You can't, if you close, you've got to deal with these kind of powerhouses as well. So it's, there's, it's a, not really a, there's a no-win situation unless yeah. you, you do count, you do build to counter it. But they've got so many ways of getting around things, easy ways to hand out focus so they can get around concealment. You know, so you can't sit back. You, and if you close, you've got to deal with these people. Well, and anytime you're forcing your opponent to uh, choose between two bad choices, it uh, tends to be good for you. I'd be curious, uh, Brian, uh, do you tend to bring in uh, Von Schill into public enemies? Oh, 100%. Like, I actually have a very hard time looking at public enemies and regardless of the schemes going, is this a bad situation for Von Schill? <laughs> it's just, he's so tough and he can do so much damage in his yeah. entire crew that it's really hard to justify not bringing him, in my opinion. So here's a question. It's really for both of you, um, because, you know, you've convinced me, obviously, that he's a good play into public enemies. Why don't we hear more about Von Schill then? Why do not, why does it appear like outcast players are not putting him on the table? Um, well, I mean, I'd say over in America, all I'm hearing about is Levy. And yeah. now in second edition, I was a big Levy player. And I actually started off with him in third edition until I'd figured out Von Schill. And I just... Uh, you know, I was going down to my club and I was taking my outcast with me. I, I play loads of factions. I was taking my outcast. I want to play Levy. I want to play Levy. And we'd spin up a um, scheme pool and I'd be like, <laughs> no, I'm taking one chill. And Levy didn't get a look in for about three or four weeks because he just wasn't wow. meeting it. So I don't know why he's so, seen as such a powerhouse over there. If people aren't using one chill, they're not used to him or he, they used, they're considering him weak from before. But get using Von Schill, and yeah, he's he's amazing. I just I take him over everybody so many times. So Steve effectively considers American outcast players idiots. Brian, what is what is your uh, take on uh, why why we don't why we don't hear about Von Schill over here? Well, I I really want to say well you're wrong here, but um, <laughs> uh, to be honest, I personally feel like Von Schill is an incredibly difficult master to actually learn well, and the reason is is in my opinion Von Schill isn't necessarily complicated. I mean, he's his models are pretty basic their mechanics aren't like super convoluted but von schill requires a lot of deep understanding of the game to play well um you have to understand positioning counter hiring um and a lot of thought goes into just those two ideas alone 
and to be able to maximize your gameplay he very much requires a higher level of skill to do well but he rewards that so yeah. much better than many do it is so much easier to put uh, leviticus on the field and be and not worry about losing a model and being able to put it back and still do what he's trying to do then okay i've got a durable model that if i'm uh, i'm foolish with this i will still lose it um, yeah, skill cap's a real thing. I mean, when you talk about a master like this or a crew like this that has a lot of options, has the ability to adapt to the situation, has some flexibility and a lot of good answers to different questions, those all having all of those different choices and options are also incredible opportunities to make the wrong choice, right? Yeah, and absolutely. put yourself in a position where you just get crushed. And I could see a world where someone says, you know what, I'm going to try Von Schill. They make a couple bad decisions early because they're just figuring the crew out and he gets crushed and you yep. say, well, you know what, I'm putting him back in the case. So yep. skill cap makes sense to me. Um, Brian, is there any other strategies you like him in? Um, so I like him in most, to be honest. Um, recover evidence, in my opinion, is kind of fun uh, just because I like the burst movement potential with rocket boots so I can get over to the markers if needed. Um, but being able to threaten the models with those intel markers is i i will admit i'm very much a uh, sadistic player at heart <laughs> i like seeing my opponent squirm with bad decisions um as much as i will never tell that to all the lovely people i demo to um i uh i i like being able to go okay so you've got your models over there all right okay any of my models can can do a lot of damage and possibly kill them cool this this makes me feel good this makes me feel real good. <laughs> so, Steve, um, let's move over to some of the schemes. What are schemes you love to see in the pool? Um, obviously, going along the same lines, it's things like let them bleed, um, assassinate, because he just denies them pretty much. You know, you've got to try and get these 10 right. stone models down to half their wounds and keep them there to the end of the turn. Um, assassinate, Von Schill, as we've said, is hard as nails. Um, I don't mind a bit of claim jump or leave your mark, especially because I run the emissary. So it's easy to get markers into the middle and get people away because you can throw them away with Von Schill. Arik can push people away. Um, so, you know, those sort of schemes that if people are playing around the middle, I'll, I'll do those. He, he can do the others. Uh, as Brian said, some rocket boots, Von Schill himself can run off and do things quite easily, you know, especially when he's got the emissary nearby, jumps off 21 inches. But um, those are certainly favorite ones. You can sort of tell from my uh, my choice of strat and schemes, I think that I'm more of an aggressive player and I tend to kill stuff. Sure. So I'd be curious, Steve, is there any dead schemes for Von Schill? Is there any schemes that if I'm a Von Schill player, I don't I shouldn't even bother with? Or is he truly that flexible? Um, I think he is that flexible. There's some, I mean, I'm trying to think some of the new ones. What says it? Not... Yeah, runic binding can be quite a difficult one. A lot of people say that's a trap for anybody, though, to be honest. Yeah. Be really good at that. So Von Schill's not great. Um, spread them out again because you've got to have the scheme markers so far away and you need them, you know, three or more. And the crew really isn't that fast and it wants to stay in the bubble. You can do it, but it makes it more difficult. So, yeah, those two are the the only ones I probably wouldn't consider if I was running the crew. Uh, anything right. else is, you know, more than fair game. How about for you, Brian? What schemes do you like and what schemes do you avoid? Um, most of the ones that he, he mentioned are, are pretty, pretty similar. I hate being forced to overspread out my crew. But uh, one that I tend to avoid because it tends to have me throwing a model or two way too deep tends to be sabotage. Hmm. Um, and it, it's not necessarily impossible. Like, I'll absolutely take Von Schill, but I will almost always not take it. Just because right. there's, almost, there's almost always other things that are just so much better. 
for him to to go into. Um, but yeah, any that require a lot of spreading out. Like I would never have taken Von Schill uh, with the scheme. Um, uh, the corners, uh, my brain is totally blanking from core, but um, uh, you know, being for, power ritual. That's it. Yeah, being able to to spread my crew out without having to do anything is just good for my opponent at that point. So I'd be interested, Brian, if I'm going to be facing a Von Schill crew, um, what are some dead schemes for me? So if, if you if I'm going up against um, we already mentioned assassinate is not good uh, right. to take against Von Schill. Is there any other ones that I should avoid? Um, I would be very careful about taking claim jump for Vendetta for reasons why um, Steve mentioned claim jump is very easily counterable. And it's easy to deny, too, because Arc has straight up kept um opponents from jumping in because without placement abilities i could place uh minefields around with the, the minefield upgrade and it really zones you out so it can be a very difficult scheme to try and go into vendetta again um you're trying to kill a model you're trying to first hurt the model and that's alone hard enough yeah. then you're trying to kill it and once you reveal the first point i can almost guarantee you if um if the von schild player is playing their models right that model's not going to die Right, right. You got so much. Yeah. yeah. At the very least, the model that is their vendetta person, it's dying. Yep. Um, Yeah. Just the nature of it. So those are I would I would consider those dead schemes or at the very least, very bad ideas. (laughs) Sure. How about you, Steve? Is there any other schemes I should be careful not taking against them? Um, I would say probably because the the bubble nature of the crew take prisoner, unless you've got a way to pull someone out of that bubble. Um, you're not going to score your first point from take prisoner because it's usually enemy models within four inch. You know, a lot of the overlapping auras are three inches. Um, so, I mean, you can do, but they've they've got ways as well. Obviously, I know Brian said about not using I've got your back from the shield upgrades, but I have used that to deny the points um, and move my models around as well. So it's a really quite a difficult one to score against them. Well, and I'll tell you that, I mean, this is probably the one of the largest portfolios of countered schemes I've heard. And that um, that can make a pool even juicier, right? So if you see a bunch of schemes in the pool that are bad against Von Schill and a couple that are good for Von Schill, um, it makes me uh, kind of understand your guys' argument that he, you know, he rises to the top uh, more often than not. So guys, we're going to take another break. When we get back from this break, we're going to do my favorite segment. We're going to talk about second level play and we're also going to talk about how to counter this crew. We'll be right back. Hi, I'm Keith Suderman and I'm a patron of Third Floor Wars. You'll never mistake me for a competitive player, but I really enjoy the analysis and the advice I get from Tabletop Talk. You should be a patron too. Head on over to patreon.com and search for Third Floor Wars or just click the link in the show notes below. What is it worth to you to get this podcast on a weekly basis? Is it worth a dollar a month? $5 a month? $20 a month? If you'd like to help support the work that we're doing here on Third Floor Wars, please go buy our Patreon. We're at patreon.com slash thirdfloorwars. There, you can pledge at any level, any dollar amount. Whatever you give us will help us put out quality content on a regular basis and hopefully make tabletop gaming a little bit better for you every week. When we created our Patreon, we purposely did not create tiers. We wanted listeners that wanted to support us to be able to choose any level. But I do want to give a shout out to those patrons that uh, donate the most per month. So special thanks goes to Nick Westbrook, Marcus, Craig Chuba, Kevin Smith, Mike Schmidt, Cody Ravicki, Drawn X, 
Sherge, Carl Lee, Corwin Soles, Alan Brown, Ambrose Ingram, Stephen Morris, Sam Newman, and James Hahn. Because the amount of money that you support us with each month, we're able to put out this content on a regular basis. Thanks a ton. I'll be very interested. Um, it, it seems like there's a lot of second level play here. It gets into what we talked about the last segment with um, really, it's a bit of a skill cap, I think, to get good at this. Um, but uh, Steve, for you, what are some things that you know you didn't figure out at first, but after getting a couple games in or maybe in being put in a specific situation, you went, oh, wait a minute, this is interesting. And, it's, and what do you consider second level play? Well, there's things like um, I Brian mentioned earlier, the steam trunk has no offensive capability. Now, that's actually kind of a lie with Von Schill because, uh, as we said, the steam trunk can give out upgrades, including to itself, because it's a tactical action. So for a one action, you give your steam trunk a rocket launcher, which people don't expect, and it's a stat six shot and with crit strike. So, you know, um, fire off the rocket launcher, now using the steam trunk's own aura, because you've got to discard the rocket launcher, you discard a card and equip yourself a grenade belt. Oh. Now, <laughs> the grenade belt, um, the attacks from that are a bonus action. So you can then fire off a, a shockwave to follow up the rocket launcher. Um, it's also got some nice triggers as well. So, you know, burnt to a crisp. I've done it before where I've taken out a breakthrough model with the rocket launcher and then grenade belted over and burnt to a crisp trigger basically removes all, all um, scheme markers within like the, the grenade belt's pulse. So, yeah, the steam trunk can actually be more offensive than uh, people realize. And if they've never seen it before, it certainly comes as a surprise. So I'd be interested, Steve, um, is it just a matter of getting the games in in order to, to kind of learn when to when to put an upgrade here, when to put an upgrade there, who to put it on? Is that just experience or is there a shortcut? I think mostly it is experience. It's knowing which upgrades are useful when, um, you know, with the pressure on hands, it's knowing when to use that aura of the steam trunk to swap out upgrades, not only on itself, but on other models. You know, you, you have got that pressure on hands, but. It's like, is it worth doing it? Depends on if it's going to deny points, if it's going to score me points. Um, and that all comes from practice, as we all know. You know, lots of people say you've got to play at least, what, 10 games or so with a master before you can really get start getting proficient with it. And certainly with Von Schill, with so many options available to the crew, even if you use my crew, my same crew every game, you've got so many different options just through the upgrades, through the hodgepodge emissary, through Von Schill himself. It just, you know, the crew can play completely differently from one game to the next, even though it's exactly the same crew. How much for you, Brian? Was there any um, kind of things that you considered you like when you unlocked the crew, things that you've discovered after getting 10 reps in? Kind of, yeah. The Very much to, you know, follow up on the what Steve said about the, you know, getting your reps in. I purposely played Von Schill into scenarios that I considered bad. Um, things that I thought were just very unfavorable because I wanted to kind of feel, you know, what I could do. And it really stressed my skill level with him and taught me some things. And you end up learning the the abilities uh, for those upgrades have a lot of fun tricks. Uh, first of all, on henchmen, it's always a good idea to think about them as range ski marker removal because you can spend soul stones to get that burn to a crisp trigger. Mm-hmm. So that's always useful. But my personal favorite is the um, uh, the rapid fire sniper is what I call it. Uh, so you've got the Freak Horse Scout, and the Freak Horse Scout's a, it's a decent little six cost minion, um, but he's got an ability on the front of him that ignores friendly fire and concealment. Uh, so that that just straight up is good on its own. But Von Schill can target him with his upgrades, put uh, the rocket launcher on him, and 
if he has the right trigger, he can actually make the, the model take the action on the upgrade immediately. If it's a minion, it gets a plus flip. So oh. the fun, I, I, what I love doing with this is putting it on him, getting that trigger, firing it off from someone who ignores concealment and friendly fire with a rocket launcher, which with the, again, with the, he can't do crit strike and everything, but still like that's, that's a lot of damage just one after another, after another. Um, and if you need to, I have actually done this as rapid fire ski marker removal as well. Um, not quite to the same, but basically I've thrown an upgrade on him and then rapid fired it over to another model. And soon I have an entire crew that, or a, a large part of my crew that can actually remove ski markers, uh, at range. So there's a lot of looking at sometimes the way that your actions can chain together with that. Um, another high level play that I very much laugh at because it's it's a bit of a meme but it is no less of a threat uh if you put the um uh the minefield on the draken trooper it gives his demise an increased demise effect so basically you have a very large exploding draken trooper wow <laughs> so you can throw him in your enemy's face and it is very much a kill me i dare you um, yeah well and everything you guys are talking about are stuff that it'll be really hard to see coming um so it's not that they're gotchas that's not what we're talking about but it's just again with all the choices and the flexibilities um it's, and boy having that having access to that much range scheme removal is just disgusting um that that's insane um i would be curious though steve what is what are you afraid of so you've got your free core on the table what is what gets dropped on the other side of the table that scares the hell out of you um, to me, mostly I'd say Dreamer. Anyone who can ignore armor or stop healing is obviously a threat, but the Dreamer crew, even down to your daydreams, you know, they ignore armor on their yeah. ranged attack. And that is just, you know, the crew relies, it, it relies on its armor. Most of the crew is like willpower five. So it's apart from Hannah and your librarian, um, and the, the steam trunk will just explode. A, a daydream can take out a steam, a steam trunk in, in, one activation your, your armor two totems just exploded in the middle of your own crew um, so yeah the dream dreamer definitely i think a lot of people are scared of him anyway but von Schill really doesn't like the dreamer uh, yes Ari can stop the summoning to a degree but you can't, can't protect everywhere with one model well and and you can't you got to be careful where you put eric because he can be taken down a lot more easier yeah, uh, well. a lot easier with a with with dreamer now i'd be curious though steve if your opponent declares Neverborn. Could that potentially stop you from bringing shill? Is it that much of a counter? Um, it's it's not that much. I mean, it depends. You know, some of the players that do tend to play Dreamer a lot, and it depends on the the strats and stuff. Anyway, um, public enemies. Am I going to play von Schill into uh, Neverborn? Quite probably. Still, yeah. Um, my, <laughs> my, my, my only option there. It might make me consider because uh, Neverborn are very melee oriented. Don't have. Um, much in the way of shooting, I've yeah. got, a, got a lovely Levy double desolation engine crew that I'd take into it instead. Um, but that sounds brutal. <laughs> it's, it's very brutal because people aren't scoring any points off it, and everyone's like minimum willpower six. So, oh. um, how about you, uh, Brian? What are what is are there any crews or abilities out there that really scare you? So I play a lot against um, Ten Thunders and Neverborn. And actually, I had a player, one of my locals, and uh, he's a really great guy, a real good player. He primarily plays Dreamer, so I absolutely understand the pain. 
Um, but one time he brought Zoraida against me and one of my tech pieces against Zoraida is, um, Lazarus cause Lazarus can't take actions outside of his activation if I don't want him to. Well, he did something I did not expect. He brought in half bloods, half bloods, ignore, um, blasts and pulses for damage when you're targeting, when you're trying to hit them. So I, that was a counter I never even considered at the time. Yeah. And, uh, it made my job not impossible. But a lot harder because Neverborn, um, particularly Zoraida's crew, has a lot of abilities to give them concealment and things like that. And when my primary way to get around terrifying or concealment is to blast them to death, that makes my job so much harder. And those models can do a lot of damage on their own. So, yeah. How about um, play-wise? So let's not talk necessarily cruiser models. What are, what are things that can happen in-game on the table that uh, can be good counters against Von Schill? I would say absolutely if you can bring things that attack the hand. Um, so if you've got terrifying, that will tax eventually Jackdaw's a nightmare. Mm-hmm. Um, if you, uh, that's another reason why the Dreamer actually can be very frustrating, a lot of, a lot of terrifying. But uh, the models like um, Yoku's crew and Ten Thunders that can directly attack your hand, if you've got models at all that can cause either direct discard or forcing that resource out of the Von Schill player's hand, it really forces them to rely on their average um, stats to get them by. And that's not necessarily the place that you want to be as the Von Schill player. Oh, that, that, make, that makes total sense. Uh, how about for you, Steve? What are some things that you've uh, seen being effective uh, in-table tactics or decisions made uh, on the table that uh, have proven effective against the free core? I mean, it is spreading your crew out, so I can't concentrate on certain things. You know, try to deny the Von Schill crew, have a few sacrificial pieces if you need, do your schemes and strats, and almost kind of tie up the crew if they are bubbling. Obviously, make them spread out to come to you because as soon as they start spreading out they lose some of their effectiveness um to support each other you know with the healing and whatever else um also the fast things that can get to support pieces the, my engineer and librarian tend to sit behind you can kill them you know i've had seamus take out um my engineer and turn one because he can do yeah. that's what seamus does you know one shot so you can't heal it and you've just lost a major support piece so the support pieces are the more fragile parts of the crew so if you can get to them pull them out target them kill them um you know Eric and Hannah and that are left without all the bonus healing and whatever else that they might have had that keeps them in the game all game. Yeah, that actually was gonna be my next question. You got ahead of me on that, which was good, which is target priority, right? So if 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 someone is facing a a, a crew, uh the free core crew, you're saying get get rid of those auxiliary smaller pieces first. Um, definitely from my point of view, the engineer and the librarian are two key pieces in the crew, even though they don't look it. They're not obviously the biggest threats. But you remove those, you lose I'm losing my card draw, I'm losing my card cycling, I'm losing some healing. You know, they bring so much to the table, those two little models. Um, you know, everything else is big and scary, but those two are a massive kind of cog within this kind of one chill engine, if you like. At least for me anyway. Yeah. Are those models, Brian, that you hate to lose too, or is there other things that people should target priority? Oh, I'm a pretty, pretty close in agreement there. Yes, it really sucks when, okay, and I say if really, um, Eric or Hannah or Von Schill goes down. Right. But that that's one of several different models that can do damage. Um, if you get those support pieces out of the way, all of a sudden those really good, really tough models, you can much easier whittle them down. I yeah. have, uh, Eric, it's very common to have shielded, at least shielded two plus two armor. And you're like, man, this feels just invincible. 
And then all of a sudden they take out your healing and your shielded generators and you're like, oh, I've just taken five <laughs> damage and I, I, I'm, I'm losing my arc here in the next turn. Yeah, suddenly you're being attrited, right? Suddenly you're, yeah. you're, you're, you're bleeding wounds away um, yeah. without the ability to protect yourself or to bring them back. Um, well, that's great, guys. I think that's a, a, a makes this a very interesting um, crew to think about. And I'll be very interested after this is released whether we start seeing some more talk about it because I got to be honest with you. I mean, he's always looked good on paper to me, but uh, sometimes on paper, that means nothing. I, I'm glad to hear from people that actually played the free core crew that say that uh, there there's actual play in the crew itself. We're going to take one more break. When we get back from this break, we're going to take advantage of having uh, these two guys on the podcast. And um, when we're recording this, we're relatively close to uh, mid uh, kind of mid season re- uh, year for weird. So it's possible that we're going to get another errata coming out here soon. So I want to uh, find out from these guys who they think might show up there. So we'll be right back. Howdy friends, Craig here. Nothing makes Malifaux easier than having the right tools. Here at the third floor, we love all the licensed Malifaux goodies from Custom Meeple. Not only are they helping support this podcast, they sell custom-made weird licensed tokens and terrain. They sell it all. Crew boxes, terrain, markers, tokens, and even a 3x3 full Malifaux board. Custom Meeple sells a complete M3E token set covering every marker and token you need to play. Custom Meeple are the source for the official accessories for Malifaux. Everything is designed by hand and authorized by Weird Games. Check them out at custommeeple.com, that's with one M, or follow the link in the show notes. Up your Malifaux game and be sure to tell them Craig from the third floor sent you. If you use the promo code third floor friend all one word t-h-i-r-d-f-l-o-o-r-f-r-i-e-n-d you'll get a five percent discount and help support the podcast it's valid on everything except retail products and play mats So just the nature of the game, the game is not perfectly balanced. And if it was perfectly balanced, we wouldn't play it because it would be super boring. Um, So the idea that, you know, as soon as you put out a errata, as soon as you put out some nerfs and some buffs, uh, models that were at the top of the curve, go to the middle of the curve, would automatically brings new models up to the top of the curve and pushes other models to the bottom of the curve that weren't there before. So I'd be curious, Steve, um, what is a model that you think really should get some love in the next um, the next push from Weird? Um, well, obviously, as we're on a Von Schill deep dive, I really think that Lazarus could do with it. I mean, he's got a lovely alternate model, um, but you don't see him on the battlefield unless it's against Jack Daw, because yeah. whilst the idea of Shockwaves is nice, unless you really saturate the board with them, they don't seem to do a lot. And for a nine-stone model that's attempting, that's basically giving people the option to pass jewels, um, you know, it's up to them if they want to cheat into it or not. And so a lot of time they'll top deck it. I've tried him a few yeah. times. He just literally does nothing. Um, and for that model, you know, I'd rather he had a more normal gun like he used to, maybe with some blasts, but the shockwave ability, much as you know, I like its addition to this version of the game, I really, you don't see much of it unless someone does super saturate the game with them. Um, and they're not that effective. Yeah, you never, I, I never hear people playing them. Um, I, I, it's just it's one of the things now, if it was pr- purely a cost thing, Steve, what, how many stones would he, would make him attractive with his current abilities? Hmm. Yeah. Um, I mean, seven, seven, yeah, probably seven. I just don't find shockwaves yeah. that yes, it's a damage three shockwave, but people can take it on what they want to. There's 
it, it can remove scheme markers at range, but for a currently a nine stone model, is that what you want? Not really. Um, right. You know, he, he used to have a great gun that was a min three gun. Now he's got like a, well, you'll take three damage if you choose to fail it by not cheating it in. And if you'll take, yeah, you'll take the hit on models that are weak models you don't really care about and can maybe heal them. But yeah, it just doesn't seem to do a lot for his cost at all. And I'd love to see him upgrade, especially with that lovely uh, alternate model that they did. Oh, it's a great model. Yeah. I love that model. Uh, how about you, Brian? Is there, a, is there a model out there that you would really love to see get some attention? Yes. Uh, yeah. So I came into Malifaux because of one master that my friend showed me in his book, and that was Hamlin. I oh. have loved Hamlin ever since the beginning because I have a strange fascination with disease and rats. And uh, that's or, strange. You're right. Yeah. But, you know, Nurgle all the way. Yeah. But um <laughs> For me, I have been annoyed at the value to get from uh, the winged plague. Oh, okay. Uh, I I've been frustrated with it because that that model, it feels like it's only four stones. So you're like, well, it shouldn't do that much. But sometimes it literally just feels like it doesn't do anything because it just you sneeze, it's dead. Right. And its abilities, while they're kind of cool in concept, they really in order to get them off, you basically have to hold that thing in the back. It's not a scheme runner then. And it, it just doesn't work. Um, I mean, I who love does it, it, but who does it compete against in that, in that keyword? I mean, who do you, who do you bring instead of the wing plague? If it's the role rat that the catchers. wing plague is trying to rat catcher. Yeah. Rat catchers. I mean, rat catchers, you can only have two of them, but I mean, between cycling them out with uh, um, the rat Kings, you've got scheme runners that are mobile. Don't mind me. You can spawn, you know, other rat kings and things like. Unfortunately, the potential plague generation that it has is just not enough to justify it. Because essentially, what you're doing is just saying, "I'm buying, I'm spending four stones to give an AOE boom," and um, depending on the situation, you may not even have a good spot to put him to do that. Yeah. So it's, I think he needs love. I don't, I don't think it's a cost thing. I, I think it's a effectiveness thing. Um, I think he just needs a, a just a little bit, you know, not much, just just a little bit to where he he's not so situated. Actually, not even situational, just where he's useful. Right, right. Where at least at least you can find a, an excuse to bring it. Right, right. Because I love those models so much. I love they are cool models. I love its height one, and I can hide it. But yep, I'm doing that all over the place, and I can't do anything with it. Yep. Now, how about the other side of that, Brian? Is there a model you think that is now uh, above the curve enough that it needs some attention? Um, as mentioned, I do play against a player who particularly likes Dreamer and um, one model that continues to infuriate me. And I don't even know if he's aware of how much this model tilts me um, is Capellius. Yeah, he's uh, good, man. I'm shocked people don't talk about like, it anymore. Right? Like that. So first of all, you look at that model's stats. He is way just base stats. He's way overstatted for a nine stone model. He, you can't lock him down. He's movement seven, very defensible. And he's got an incredibly damage attack. It, it, he can do tons of damage and he's got good utility. People yep. tend to flex him between using as a scheme runner because he can't be tied down. But if he wants to turn around and murder something, he's going to do it. Yeah, he's a little bit of a skill cap uh, model, right? I think in um, in a, in a uh, 
uh, less experienced player's hands. He's, right. very, he's not that hard to deal with. Right. But you put Corrales in somebody who knows what they're doing. Oh, um, he, he can be just absolutely devastating. Absolutely. So what, in your mind, do you think it's just a matter of maybe considering uh, a stone or two? Or is there a particular thing on the card that you think is just a little much? I don't think he needs to be stat seven. Um Personally, yeah. I'm not a game designer. When I worked at Weird, I people would ask me, do you ever want a game designer? I was like, no, not at all. Um, I can tell you if something is fun, but I'm not someone to go to for game design. Uh, I feel like reducing his move down to a six and bumping his stones up by one would pretty much, I think, justify what he can do. Um, right. Because uh, he's an enforcer, so he can't use stones. But when he's got a built-in uh, trigger to do minimum three with a push on a very well-statted melee attack, um, he he gets you get so much value. I do not know why a dreamer player would ever not bring him. I do not. Yeah, know. that that move seven. I just I don't know outside of a master why that should ever exist. And I really unimpeded, and it pushes yeah. him just over the edge to where it's no. like, okay, no, this is this is a little much. Yeah, and and I honestly didn't realize what a celebrity you are, Brian. I think you are officially the only person that's ever posted on AWP that's not a game designer. Because if you go on AWP, <laughs> everybody knows how to balance models. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. little did we know you're the only person who doesn't know how to game design. <laughs> Steve, how about you? Is there a model out there that's a little much? Um, yeah, for me, I think it has to be Jan Low. Um, I know, like, he, oh wow, he got a couple of hits anyway through the the uh, nerfs to Manos and stuff, but he is still so far above the curve. He's, to me, I mean, I don't use him much because I think he's too much, um, but he's a bit like my one shill of Thunders and Thunders is a, is a nuts faction anyway. Um, yeah. I mean, he's, he's like a five-action master because any decent Yan Low player will put up the Hazardous Aura to start with, which for, you know, I play Mei Feng. And that's an action for her to do, and it doesn't affect enemy constructs. So he's got a better aura straight away. So that's like one action. Every time he adds an upgrade, he gets another action. And he's just doing so much. And then when he brings his guys back, usually off Kakudu, so he's not losing the model, he actually gets to draw two cards as well. I mean, for no target number. Um, you know, you look at Titania's totem, if he wants to bring a model back, it's got a, quite a high target number. Yan Lo just goes, no, I'll have that back. I'll have two cards, and I'll have a Kakudu on the flank as well. He doesn't need all that. He's far too good. So I'd be interested, Steve, as, as somebody who's played Jan Lowe, uh, which it sounds like you have, um, do, do you find, because I hear people say you just got to alpha strike him. Um, do you, does that scare you? The idea of, you know, someone coming with a Nekama or something and just hitting you early, or have you been able to withstand that as well? I've seen it happen. I've tried it myself using Parker, who's usually good for it. Oh, yeah. Um, and you just can't really... Uh, you know, if they've had a mass to start with, there's an upgrade there, so he's got a demise anyway. If he's activated, okay, oh wow, he's defense four, but also every time they attack you in melee, you know, they're taking damage back themselves. And then the next turn, he just adds an upgrade to heal himself and regenerate and all the rest of it. I've, I've had him, he has been reduced to like two or three wounds in the first turn. He used a lot of stones keeping him up. But once he's past that turn one, once he's got two upgrades on him, he's into average stats. Once he's onto three yeah. upgrades, he's above average stats in everything. Well, and that whole crew has a nasty counterpunch, right? So if you go in on that crew, yeah. you better you better do the job because if you don't, yeah. you're done. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. You're going to lose something. Yep. Um, so we won't get into it heavy, Brian, but uh, give me one more of each. I'd love to uh, just name a model you think uh, needs a buff and one that you think needs a little attention. So for uh, a buff... Um, I don't know. I, I like most of the situation most models are in, but I don't like 
where the and this is going back to my outcast because i've pretty much played almost exclusively outcast only dabbling in guild a little bit and um things but i really wish i had a reason to take smugglers over um prospectors in bandits um i really like the idea of the abilities on the bayou smuggler but it just does not bring the same value due to the soul stone generation it just doesn't yeah um and it's a shame because those models are great yeah they really are and it's and i like the ability to draw around to drag around markers i mean yeah because it's a marker it's not just you know scheme strategy you know whatever it's markers so you can drag you know the blown apart marker from uh from mad dog or whatever to reposition it or you're playing against titania i need to move this out of the way so i can run a gun through there that's yeah. pretty cool but just value wise i i think um and this actually may bleed into the whole what needs to be nerfed and i hate saying this because i feel like such a heretic but the uh the the prospector i think is so much value that i he creates bad habits yeah uh like i said i do not like to view him as a bank but so many people do and he creates a very bad habit of oh i'm gonna buy him and i'm running with one stone and then turn one, Shen Long jumps into your face and like, you have a dead, uh, you have a dead guy. Oh, okay. That, that, that went the rest of my soul stones for the game. So yeah, I, it's an interesting way to put it, Brian, because I, I kind of, I kind of felt the same way about soul stone miners. Um, you know, and I get frustrated when I hear people say, you know, well, they're useless now that I'll never use them. And that's just, that's not the case at all with soul right. stone miners at all. Right. Um, they're still very good models and you know, what they are now is they're situational. Yes. Which quite frankly, that's what a Malifaux model should be. It right. should be situational. It shouldn't be, I'm going to hire my decision. Shouldn't be, do I bring two of them? Right. Um, my decision should be, should I bring any of them? Right. Um, so yeah, I could definitely see where the prospectors fall into that. Especially um, with the versatile, like the, the yeah. versatile, I think is really where you hit your hit home on that. Like you shouldn't go, Oh, versatile model auto include that. That's bad. I would be very happy if some by some miracle and trust me, um, it's real easy for me on a podcast to say, do this. It's another thing to actually, right. you know, be smart enough to do it, which I'm not. Um, it would be great if there was no versatile model in the game that was an auto take. I would mm-hmm. really love to see that. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's that's hard. Mm-hmm. That's hard to do. Yeah. Um, Steve, you get to nominate one of each. Uh, what's a model you'd love to see get some love and one you wouldn't mind uh, getting toned down? I'd, uh, I think Moleman could do with something because who's ever seen a Moleman in third edition? Yeah. Has anyone yeah. ever run one? Um, because they have really bad stats, really bad abilities. Um, and it's just like, okay, they have really bad models as well, but they could maybe redo the models. But but even Marcus doesn't bring them. No, it doesn't. Because the thing is, to do their speed, if you like, someone's got to be out in front dropping a scheme marker. They yep. don't even work in pairs like Wicked Dolls do. They just kind of are there. They could maybe do with a berry like the Soulstone Miner has instead of relying on scheme markers to actually bury and unbury because at the moment, they just don't do anything. They kind of walk around the board looking miserable till someone actually looks at them and they fall over. Yeah. Yep. So, yeah, more, more men definitely, I think, could do with something just so we actually see them on the board for a bit of variety. I could see that. How about uh, one more nerf nominee? <laughs> well, there's, I could go with a few that I know people want me to put, which is most of the 10 Thunders versatiles, but I'm actually going to go with um, <laughs> uh, Serena because Serena is seen oh. in pretty much every Neverborn crew. Yeah. Um, it's If a model is seen that often, there's 
you know, it's probably saying that she's too good at what she does or which another thing, another argument I've heard from the Neverborn is they lack condition and healing and she's the only one who brings it. So um, if she's going to be their condition and heal remover, maybe lower her cost, but also lower her attack. So she can't like just sit safely out of range, attacking things and healing things, you know, make it an option or so if they want that permanent healer condition removal, fine but don't allow her to just like actually join in with the punching as well because she hits really hard it's interesting the way you put that steve because you know another way that i would imagine they could look at this is saying you know this is a model that that is hired all the time here's why this model's hired all the time we're not going to touch that model what that tells us is that we need to maybe give some other models some attention that can compete with her. Yeah, I mean that that could be an option, but I do think like removing her, she's good at everything kind of thing, and you can't really kill her. Right. So you know, if you to put in another model that's going to compete with her, it also has to be equally that good. Otherwise, they'll still stick on Serena. So unless she gets a little bit of a nerf, and you bring in some alternates, yeah, she'll still be top pick for Neverborn. Yeah, no, I could definitely see that. Well, gentlemen, that was fun. Um, uh, Steve, do you have any shout outs or plugs you want to get out there? Um, it depends when this goes out. Obviously, we've got the UK Nationals in November. Um, Dave Brown is pushing tickets. Uh, we seem to be, he, he's got a good plan for dealing with coronavirus and all the rest of it. So, you I know, we're going to be spread out. We've got plenty of space. So, you know, if you've not put down for it, it's a great weekend. Um, get yourself along. We've got, I think, on the list currently, unless he can't travel, we've got guys coming from the States. We've certainly got plenty of people coming from France, um, Germany, Norway. So it is, it's more of an, in, although we call it UK Nationals, it is getting more and more international. And no uh, last, last year, the top three were all international players, not a single UK player in the top three. Yeah. So, yes. Yeah. Put it in your diary. <laughs> hey, well, I'll tell you, Steve, I'm sure you've heard me mention on the cast before. That's my that's one of my uh, bucket list items is to get out there and um, get my ass handed to me at the Nationals because <laughs> um, I considered it one of the premier events in the world uh, for Malifaux. Unfortunately, right now we can't leave our own country, so it's no. probably not going to happen for <laughs> us. You probably maybe can't, next leave, year. can't even leave your own state at the moment, can you? I know. That's what it feels like. Um, how about you, Brian? Any shout outs or uh, plugs? Yeah, um, there's less of a specific plug, but more of a... I'm always demoing stuff for Weird, and I, I love uh, all the games Weird makes, honestly. Um, and I just want to, you know, kind of encourage people to give uh, Through the Breach and uh, the other side a try if they haven't. Um, if you got, if Especially if you like playing RPGs, Through the Breach is one of the coolest uh, departures from traditional mechanics as far as the way character creation goes, and it's a lot of fun. I've been having brand new players to gaming period playing it and they've been having fun um and i just kind of want to throw that out there for people to give it a shot and including you know the other side the other side is a really cool game um and it's a lot of fun to play and uh I, people like me who play tons of games because we're, we're to be honest we're addicts um and it's it's they're they're games that are worth looking at and trying uh so i just kind of want to give that kind of shout out to those specific weird mechanical games well, and I'll tell you, if, um, of course, for our listeners, uh, right before Gen Con, we had uh, Kesavan on. Um, and I don't know, Brian, have you ever watched his YouTube channel? He does the actual play through yeah. the breach. He, um, he, he's a good guest. Um, we had fun with him. And uh, he's talked me into actually coming on his sh- uh, YouTube channel as a player um, for Through the Breach, which I'm really looking forward to because awesome. I own the book. Um, I love role playing games, but I just have never had a chance to actually play it. And people tell me that um, he's one of the best GMs out there for uh, Through the Breach. So I'm pretty excited. That's cool. Yeah, it's, it's a fun system. The character creation is my favorite part of it, particularly if you look into the 
um, the expansion books, like to make a character who's involved in the guild or, you know, a construct or maybe even an undead character. Like it, cool. it, is, it is, it is fun in mechanics. And it's, it's, if you like Malifo, then there's no reason why you're not going to like that. You might understand the setting, right? Yep. <laughs> All right. Well, Stephen Bryan, I doubt this will be the last time we have you on. I do appreciate you taking the time. Cool. Well, thanks for having us on again. Uh, thank you. Absolutely. Thank you. And for those that uh, stuck around to the end, thanks for listening. Take care. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and Twitch so you don't miss uh, the avalanche of content we create. Links are in the show notes. Be sure to check out our shop on thirdfloorwars.com for the latest in gaming apparel and gear. There you'll also find the latest information for the U.S. Faux Tour. Find out where you rank in your conference or even in the entire United States. Get those models built, painted, and ready so we can see you at the next U.S. Faux Tour Masters event. Please take a moment to write a review of this pod on your favorite platform. Rating and reviewing helps us find more listeners almost as cool as you are. Be sure to share this feed with all of your friends who love tabletop gaming. Thanks for listening. Howdy folks, Craig here. Now, if you love gadgets as much as we do, you're going to love the new Third Floor Wars Gadget Bundle from Schooner Labs. Branded with the logo of your favorite podcast, it comes with two measuring multi-tools, a compass stepper for those tight and important movements, along with a compact dashboard to track your turn, strat, and scheme scoring, along with your soul stones and pass tokens. It is the perfect bundle for anyone who plays Malifaux or just wants to look cool while doing it. The link is in the show notes. Check them out and help support your favorite gaming podcast. Right. I feel like I'm all over the place when I'm talking about things. <laughs> uh, you know, it's so funny. It's always like that for everybody. And then uh, it's, you, you know, you listen to somebody, you like you listen to an episode that you weren't on. You're like, God, they're so succinct. I'm like, now nah, they're all over the place, too. You just cut out the parts. <laughs> I really don't edit that much. Um, honestly, if you ever listen to the end of the episodes. Yes, I was, oh, yeah. I was actually listening to the one today, which, by the way, I absolutely loved the, the one with the kids. Um, as a parent, oh, as a parent to be three. I, I I loved listening to that and yeah I was re- I did not know how that episode was going to go but um they both both ended up being great oh guests. man that was fantastic absolutely fantastic um what was really cute is uh um Keith's younger son mm-hmm. um is was a big fan of a fan, big fan of the podcast which is really funny and uh he uh he found out his older brother was going to be on the show and it, it created a situation. Uh-oh. And so I had to, so I told Keith, Keith goes, would you just sit and talk to him for a little bit? And I said, sure. So after it was all That's done, awesome. I just sat there and he and I talked about Malifaux for like 10 minutes. That's awesome. But he was all excited because I was on the camera and he, had a, he got to wear the headset. That's awesome. That nice. Yeah, yeah nice. No, that was a fun episode. I, I definitely enjoyed it um, for sure. But uh, back to what we were saying, though, is like um, you'd be surprised. I very do. I very rarely take out whole segments um, or whole like, you know, blocks. Um, and anytime I do 90% of the time, it ends up at the end of the episode anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Cause sometimes it's interesting what's talked about during the break, you know? And um, I listen to other podcasts and I like hearing like the outtakes yeah. and stuff like that. Cause it, I don't know. It's kind of fun to know how the sausage is made. It's, it's a bit like, um, I mean, obviously we missed some of the upgrades and stuff that I don't want to go back to them and with the steam trunk, but say the steam trunk's got no offensive power, but you watch him stick on a rocket launcher <laughs> yeah. for one action, fi- fire yeah. it off, discard a card, 
give himself a grenade belt, which is then fires on a zero action. Yeah, that's second level play right there, Steve. So uh, leave a note for yourself because that's great yeah. for second level uh, play. There's so much of that jank that makes your opponent go, "You're, you're, you, are you serious? Yeah. Are you trolling me right now? And you're like, uh, that's funny. Yeah, but this troll happens to have a rocket launcher. So, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so what, what we'll do, guys, with this second level play is, um, I want you to keep in mind the rest of the faction right so yep. let's not look for stuff and say yeah he's playable in here what i want to know is when does when does von Schill win out when does he right. when is he better than somebody else um so oh, uh let's see I, who did i finish with i finished with you i think brian so i'll start with steve we, which we going on to now second level play or are you going on the uh, no, we're going build, building the pool building the pool okay yep yep so we'll uh pick, pick a strategy and we'll talk about it okay okay All right, that was good. Efficient. Yeah, I like. Uh, I definitely agree with you, Steve, on the uh, this the the way that he behaves. Um, I tend to very much play him similarly, except uh, recently I've been throwing off my opponents, going a bit aggressive with him. It's oh, been fun. Cool, cool. <laughs> I accidentally, yes, accidentally threw off a, a friend, and he uh, got his dreamer thrown into the middle of my career. It was bad. Yeah, I've been looking forward to this because I, I I think he's so cool, but I've yet to play against him, so. This is going to be cool. All right. Um, let's talk quickly core crew. Um, Steve, what's your first hire? And Brian, what's yours? Um, well, for me, I think it's always Hannah. Okay. Uh, mine is always going to be Arik. All right. So I'm going to start with you. We'll talk about Hannah. Yeah, sure. All right, Steve. All right. Let's see what his totem at any point. <laughs> Uh, you know what? Let's start with the totem. Uh, Brian, do you mind covering the totem? Absolutely. All right. I'll give me just a second. I'll bring us back. Hey, are you still here? Look, uh, the podcast is over. And you sat through all of the breaks and bloopers? Well, I mean, if you're here, might as well run over to patreon.com become a supporter don't forget to rate and review this podcast too while you're at it on whatever platform you're listening to i do appreciate you sticking around take care a poodle and a collie are walking together when the poodle suddenly unloads on his friend my life is a mess he says my owner is mean my girlfriend ran away with a schnauzer and i'm jittery as a cat why don't you go see a psychiatrist suggests the collie i can't says the poodle I'm not allowed on the couch.